With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, we're waiting. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host as always, Adam Fonseca, Editor-in-Chief over at Golf Unfiltered. Today, we are joined by Mr. Matty Blake uh, from many places, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, most notably Drilling Down, which is a, a fantastic TV show. Uh, but Matty and I go a little, little ways back, even though we didn't really know it, but before I get too <laughs> ahead of myself, Matt, how are you tonight? Great. It's an honor to be here, man. I'm very excited. Awesome, and it's great to have you on here as well. And so, uh, listeners, what I was alluding to, uh, <laughs> Matt and I were co-workers for about 20 seconds when we <laughs> both worked at the Back Nine Network. Matt, of course, was uh, one of the featured uh, individuals on camera for the network, and I was just one of the nerdy guys in the background that wrote for the website. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Matt, uh, that whole experience working for the, the now-defunct Back Nine Network, obviously I'm sure we both still have some uh, some good contacts at that that uh, now defunct company, but how would you, uh, was that a rewarding experience for you, kind of covering the game that I know that you love so much? Oh, you're starting me off with a doozy, Adam. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough question to answer. In short, yeah, it was super rewarding. I mean, it was it was a dream job, you know, um, for eight months or however long it lasted. I mean, I, I had my own show, you know, Off Par with Matty Blake, and I had, uh, every day I went in and was... <laughs> being paid handsomely to do funny golf content or thoughtful and funny golf content. And it was like, I had a little, um, I got to be Conan for eight months, you know, um, <laughs> in the golf world. And yeah, it was a blast. Now there was a lot of things behind the scenes that made it a difficult journey. You know, I was working, uh, 17 hour days, <laughs> wow. you know, uh, you know, um, and part of that was a commute. I was driving in from another part of Connecticut. Uh, but I was, you know, kind of writing everything. And, and, uh, I had a mute, you know, Matt Castingway, who, you know, um, was, was brought on and he helped me with take the writing load. Um, and you know, there were behind the scene things that I'd be uncomfortable mentioning oh, that sure. yeah. made it, made it hard, but, um, but it was in the end amazing. And I grew from it by the time that show ended. I mean, my chops on camera were, you know, we did it five days a week every day. So, I was uh, I was like a machine gun towards the end, so you you know great experience. Absolutely, and you know I think I could say much of the same. You know, obviously from a different mm. perspective, having just written for the site, but totally understand. You know, obviously there's a there's a story with every network that's ever started and not continued on, and so we'll just kind of leave it at that. But you know, before we get too ahead of ourselves, Matt, I want. Uh, let, let our listeners know a little bit about your background. Now, you're not yeah. a, a sportscaster by trade. Uh, you're a comedian. Yeah. I got into this whole show business by being a Boston stand-up comic. Um, I was living in Boston, full-time comic. Um, I was also working in radio. I was doing sketch and improv. Uh, and I got signed by a major bi-coastal agency, Don Buckle and Associates, who represents Stern and a bunch of people. 
I moved to New York City, and then that was it. I was making my living as an actor, and uh, and it, it it transitioned from stand up to comedic acting, and I made it for ten years. I did about thirty national network commercials. You saw me; you just don't know it. <laughs> and uh, so I was making my living doing that, and and doing film and television, getting bit parts in film and television, and I also had a pretty successful uh, voiceover career. And then um, what happened during that time was NBC Sports put out a casting note looking for a comedian but who could do on camera and make sports funny. So I got my own show on NBC Sports digital platform. It was called The Matty Blake Show, and I was on the front page of NBCSports.com and MSNBC uh, every day, um, and that was just awesome. That was, that was kind of my way into sports comedy and uh, my first real big one. And and then I, of course, focused on golf because I was falling in love with golf at that time. If Every time I could, I had to do all sports, but I got into golf. And that led to me working at the Golf Channel. Mm-hmm. And then working at the Golf Channel uh, led me to the back nine opportunity. So while working at the Golf Channel, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, if I remember correctly, one of the first assignments you had was to find the first golf hole in America. Was that right? Yeah. Wow. Great memory. Yeah. We uh, – yeah, so I did this character called the Golf Detective, and we took actual, you know, our mission was to actually solve these things, not make it shtick. Um, although I played kind of a '70s gumshoe, you know, gag, but we actually solved them in the process, and it was really awesome. So yeah, where where the first golf hole in America was, we solved where the where the mulligan was born, where golf pencils are made, um, uh, you know, things like that. It was awesome. That, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and I, I vaguely remember that show, obviously. And, uh, you know, it was just – it's great because what I like most about what you do, Matt, is because, like you said, you make covering uh, – especially a game like golf, which tends to take itself a little too seriously. You do so yeah. well to make it enjoyable from a from a funny standpoint, but also it's quite clear, and you even mentioned it to your, uh, a little bit ago, that you've fallen in love with the game. What what really yeah. started to get you uh, on that, that love affair with the game, I guess? Uh, I think it's like a perfect storm of it's the hardest game I've ever played. I was a basketball player. I played basketball in college, just division three, but I was always a competitive basketball player growing up. And when that ended, I was looking for that thing, whatever it was. And it's like the perfect storm of it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever done. It's, it's, it's like going for a walk, you know, wherever the golf course is in your town, it's probably one of the prettiest views you have, even if it's a Muni, you know, at four o'clock on a Sunday night, it's the most beautiful part of town. It's like a parkland, you know, and, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful internally. It's beautiful externally. It's very Zen for me. I used to, my favorite rounds where I used to play Sunday mornings by myself, nine holes off the back at my little Muni course. And it was just like glorious. It was like going to church. So I just I just fell in love with it. It's a challenge, and I think it's the most beautiful game ever invented. I know it's my th- form of therapy that I prefer. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely everything you just mentioned. Uh, do you pl- get the chance to play a lot of golf now during the fall? Uh, are you are you located yeah. uh, in uh, the East Coast still? Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm in Rhode Island, and uh, but I meet friends in Massachusetts. I played today. In fact, uh, we were. Moving a lot of leaves for our putts. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you got these little alleyways of leaves. It actually gives you quite a good line. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, there's this muni by us uh, that uh, – oh, same deal. A lot of leaves on the ground. But they've actually yeah. just thrown sand on, on the fucking greens, and it's awful. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just terrible. But, you know, you kind of have to take what you get in fall golf. It's still a beautiful game nevertheless. Yeah, it's, it, and once those leaves get cleared, it's actually – you know, I played – it's funny, Adam. I played last year. I looked at my phone – my birthday's in December. 
I played right up through January. Wow. You know, the last couple of years, actually, because, you know, it'd be like 45. If it's not windy, I'll play. If it's sunny out, I'll, I'll play if it's cold, as long as it's not windy. So till the snow really hits, you, you can play pretty far on the East Coast into the into the calendar. You know, it's funny you mention that because I think I actually played as late as December last year, but I'm in the Chicagoland area. And, and so oh, right. It's it's hit or miss, quite literally. Uh, yeah. with the weather. But, you know, Matt, uh, not to jump back and forth too much, but as as I said in the intro, you know, uh, you're still doing the TV thing. You've got a great show drilling down on the History Channel. It's not golf-related, um, but tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now with that show. Okay, there's a show on History Channel called The Curse of Oak Island, and if you're not oh, aware mistake, of it... My mistake. That's, no, no, it's fine. My, my show is called Drilling Down. Um, drilling Down is basically the companion show that goes along with Oak Island, much like Talking Dead is for Walking Dead. Gotcha. Follow that. So um, you're not wrong. It, it, the, sh- the show is Curse of Oak Island, and I do a show about it, um, an after show or post show or pre-show sometimes. Um, and if your listeners don't know, it's an unbelievable story. It's going to sound fake, but very quickly, there's an island in Nova Scotia where for over 220 years, somebody at great effort, built some sort of underground chambered vault system, which is booby-trapped. And every time you get to a certain depth, it floods with ocean water. So for 220 years, people have been trying to solve this mystery, what was buried in Oak Island. And there's kind of four major theories. Seven, uh, you know, uh, Six people have died. Seven people have died trying to find this thing. Uh, and so History Channel is chronicling these two brothers, the Lagina brothers, are the latest in this long line of searchers trying to finally solve this thing. So it's like a, a real-life adult Goonies. You know, it's like a treasure hunt. And um, it's it's an incredible thing. There's there's paranormal aspects to it. It's been a life changer for me being involved with it. I've been to the island many times. Um, it's just an incredible story. It seems too good to be true almost. It, it is a crazy story. And listeners, I know this is a golf podcast, but for anyone who's listening, this is what, the 87th episode that we've done. I mean, you know, we, <laughs> we hit all, all fields here. So uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy story. And, you know, uh, Matt, obviously – you're you're getting your chops at a lot of major networks now. I mean, you you've obviously been in movies. You've got a, a, a IMDb page that's got a ton of information on what you've been in. How has all of this kind of prepared you for uh, you know covering the game of golf in in any aspect that you have over the years? I mean, obviously you kind of have to you know think on your feet. You know, obviously I'm just a yeah. guy that sits in a chair with a, with a you know pair of headphones on and I can kind of talk to myself, but you kind of have to, you have to sound intelligent. You have to be funny at the same time. And you have to talk about a game that really, there's some really unintelligent people that play it and some really unfunny people that play it. So how do do you pull it off so well? Well, thank you. I I don't know if I do, but I'll take the compliment. I, I will say this though. If I do have a talent, it's kind of knowing my role. And, um, when I'm with say like a John McGinnis or Shane Baker, if I do a spot on John McGinnis's satellite radio show, or if I'm on Shane's podcast, like, look, I don't have the street cred in golf that those guys have. And so I've got to kind of come at it from a different angle, you know? Um, so I can't be straight up analyst guy. It's just not going to work. Um, so what I try to do is take a story and, you know, kind of hold the, the funhouse mirror up to it and, and come at it from, uh, I call, so I do this golf show from time to time on online and I call it, uh, I call my people, my, my viewers, I call them hacker nation, you nice. know, and it's kind of a tongue in cheek way to say, to kind of embody the voice I'm trying to, to give this stuff, the coverage of it, if you will. And it's just the, the everyday guy's voice in golf, you know, Faraday 
is very close to that in what he does, but he's also very much an insider. You know, um, he has to kiss Tiger's butt. I wouldn't have to. You know what I mean? That's kind of what I have in my mind when I do stuff. So, yes, knowing my role, I think. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned that every guy voice. And, and I think a lot of uh, publications, a lot of channels are trying to go that route. Do you see that as uh, the future of how golf will be covered, especially since there's all this this worry and anxiety that the game is losing viewership? I see it how not only how golf will be covered, I see it as the future of golf, uh, from golf boards to being able to wear swing juice golf t-shirts when you play and not college shirts. You know, I, I think the days of the very exclusive country club, they're always going to be there, but if they want to keep this game alive, they're going to have to make, we, I should say we sure. are going to have to make major changes in how we talk about and think about the game. And a millennial, there is nothing in this game that would interest him from his, his or her perspective for so many reasons because of the way it's been set up traditionally. So yeah, I think the every man, quote unquote, the hacker nation attitude, I think that's the future of golf. I mean, I saw it at back nine, Adam, like you, you know, you saw it, you, you could see these things creeping in there. Um, people were just going like, no, I, why, why do I have, no, tuck my shirt in, not wear my hat backwards. Who the fuck are you? No, right, what are right. you talking about? You know, so yeah, I think it's already happening and it's just going to, and look, even guys like Jack Nicklaus, the king, you know, well, Arnold was a king, but you know, the top of the sport um, are advocating for 12 whole courses and tee it forward and let's relax the rules. Hank Haney tweets every day. Why, what's with the collared shirt thing, you know? So um, it's happening. It's happening. So it's the future. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of movements like that. I actually just read something a little bit earlier today about how there's this, I don't know how true this is, uh, but they're, they're trying to make a move to get some more hipsters into the game, you know, and I could totally see, <laughs> I could totally see golf kind of going that route because it's yeah. always been that unique niche game for just, well, up until this point, the elitist and the very wealthy and, and, you know, let's be honest, the, the white males of, yeah. of uh, the world. But, you know, do you kind of see, you know, with the trends, how they're changing, how things are, are moving towards more inclusion in the game, or at least a push for that? Do you see it remaining a niche sport for a lot of uh, unique people? Or do you think it's going to be more widespread to hit to all fields? I think it had a chance to be widespread, you know, towards the tail end, middle of the Tiger era. era. And I think with his decline, we maybe lost some of that mojo and momentum. Um, but yeah, could I see a day when there's uh, Brooklyn hipster golf courses and guys are playing in big beards and tatted up sleeve tattoos in their arms? Absolutely. Um, I don't know that it'll ever be. It won't be. I mean, it won't be. It won't be a mainstream sport uh, in the way that, you know, the NFL is now. Um, but you never know, you know, there could be a guy. Okay. So we always say we never saw anything like tiger. Right. Right. And there could be a seven foot three inch Swede right now who, who he's 13 now, but he's going to grow to seven, three and he plays the game like no one else has played it. And he looks different and he sets a new, and we just don't, we, you don't know. And that could explode the game worldwide. And he wins five majors out of Sweden. You know, yeah, or, right. or, or, or Istanbul or wherever, and it will change everything. So you don't know, but it'll always be up to us because I think it is a bit of a niche sport, like a tennis or something. It's up to us to get the people we can to cast that net as wide as we can. And I think that's happening. 
I would agree with you, and I think on that point, Matt. I mean, obviously, you're a you're a, a fun personality. I mean, you're someone that can speak to a lot of different sports. You can speak to a lot of different things and make it entertaining. You know, I try to do just a little bit of that with this show and the things that I write. But mm-hmm. do you think that that golf is kind of I don't know how to put this in a position that it, it's trying to force people like a colorfully dressed Ricky Fowler or a <laughs> a uh, tightly uh, shirt wearing Rory McIlroy to kind of find that seven foot three Swede that's going <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. Do I think do I think golf is 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 kind of forcing that to happen? Yeah. In other words, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't think they're forcing it. I think. I think Ricky and people like that are just the natural progression of of the next crop of kids coming up, and that's what they're into. And then golf is marketing the shit out of that because they're like, oh, my God, look at this. The kids are going to love this. Let's boom. And then you get orange hats at a tournament. But I, I don't think there's some sort of Machiavellian movement behind the scenes to let's get guys to wear cool stuff. I think those guys want to wear those things and act like that because they're that age and, and golf is doing an okay job. Actually, you know, I went to a tournament. I went to TPC uh, Boston with my son this summer mm-hmm. and I just compared it to going to a tournament when I was a kid with my dad and my God, they really have done a pretty good job of making this sport um, fun and more inclusive and edgy for them. You know, they got a long way to go, but it kind of felt like a party, you know, and um, yeah, good for them. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. It, the party atmosphere is, I think, something that I, I, uh, I'm sure golf is going to try to play up even more, even with the like the Waste Management Phoenix Open. You know, everyone talks about the 16th tee where it's basically a big frat yep. party in Arizona. Right. Um, and I think that's okay in small doses, at least for now. But I really do believe, and I think this might be kind of what we're alluding to, is that golf needs to remain flexible to allow those personalities to really thrive in yes. a game that really didn't allow that for many years. Well, look, Adam, I think we might look back on this Ryder Cup and specifically the, what, 60-foot putt that Rory made and that WWE reaction, he, you know, and him and Reed <laughs> going back and forth. Like, that clip in 15 years, a historian, I think, could make a line in the sand like, that's when golf changed. You know, it might have started with Bubba making the crowd make noise at the Ryder Cup at the tee box, you know, a few years before that. Mm-hmm. But that, that, I mean, that was like, that was, it was like professional wrestling. I'd never seen anything like that. No one had. And so that could catapult us to a whole nother <laughs> level of, of competitive golf. Maybe more match play might come of that. I don't know. But I think that was a huge moment in golf. That was as exciting as any sport. That was incredible. I agree completely. And, and I think for the most part, if not the vast majority, it was very well received. I don't think I've read one negative right. thing about that, that their interaction with one another. Right. There was very little old guard going, that's not how you do it. And you know why? I'll t- my theory is because when he did that, after, you know, Reed had shushed him and they went back and forth, and he did the mock bow and he did the mock shush to him and they went back and forth. At that point, when he hit that putt and did the, come on, right. Patrick smiled and they fist bumped. And right that that right there saved it. Had they had that been adversarial the entire time, I think you would have gotten more flack for that. You know, that's not the but because they were kind of in on the gag, if you will, I think that diffused a lot of what the old guard would be concerned about. 
I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that just kind of shows that they were having fun in the moment. Yeah. Very serious for them at the, at, at the moment, of course. But then I think even what was another great sign, uh, besides the fact that the, the U.S. finally pulled it out, but uh, Rory actually finishing his, his match against Patrick Reed and then coming back out to kind of chair with the fans, you know, to kind of just enjoy it as well. You know, I think that's that was just a huge move, even from a PR standpoint on, on Rory's part. Bingo. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of transition, uh, you know, Matt, to your golf game. I mean, as we uh, kind of mentioned, <laughs> as we mentioned a little bit uh, before we started going here, you know, um, you were on uh, the clubhouse with uh, Shane Bacon, another uh, mutual media friend. Um, yeah. And uh, you had mentioned that you've been uh, working on a lot uh, on your game as well. Uh, how is the first and foremost, what's what's the uh, state of the uh, the Matty Blake golf game at this time? State of my game is good. <laughs> Thought it was political season. I'd get a little State of the Union for you. Um, yeah, man, it's good. It's uh, it's the best it's ever been in my life. Right now, this this is the first time I've ever been a single digit handicap. I sent Shane Bacon my handicap card, <laughs> a picture of it, because <laughs> Shane Shane was a huge help to me in my game. Um, and then John McGinnis was the other one. He at the back nine offices. You remember there was that little simulator, right? And the last few weeks of when the writing was on the wall, it looked like we might not make it show prep suddenly became <laughs> less and less because we didn't even know if we we're going to be doing shows at that point. Right. And I said to McGinnis, I said, will you just sit up there in the simulator room with me and help me? He's like, yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> so he literally, I had a PGA tour professional <laughs> guy who had a top 20 in the U S open sit in a chair and drink beers while I, hit balls in the simulator and he just helped me and he just said do this do that do this do this this is your problem this is your consistent miss and that those Shane working with me and him working with me fundamentally changed how I played the game so yeah I've I've you know I was always like a 12 13 you know um but I'm down to 9 8 now and, and playing better than ever that's awesome. I mean, I, I have actually gone in the opposite direction. Sad to say it happens. It happens. It yeah, does. It, it does happen. And unfortunately it's just the, the, the way that the game works, but yep. you know, with your, your experience covering the game, and this might be an obvious question, but you know, has actually covering the game, learning more about it just to do your, your job as a member of the media, has that helped the way that you play? Of course, aside from, from working with guys like John McGinnis and actually having mm-hmm. someone coach you, one-on-one I think osmosis is a powerful thing in whatever you're doing and you know you you always tend to or at least I do tend to perform higher if I'm around people who are performing at a higher level so I think talking golf thinking golf analyzing golf and all that yeah I think it does creep into your soul and at a certain point I think if you talk about it and think about it and 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 dwell on it all the time something inside you snaps at least do with me where it's like I'm just not willing to play like this anymore. Like, I know I'm never going <laughs> to be great, but I'm just not willing to, do, I've got to fix this. You know, John McGinnis always said to me, he's like, just one at a time, pick your weakness and attack it and don't stop until you improve on it. And then go to the next one. Don't work on your putting and your chipping and your driving. What's your, what is, as Hank, can you say your big miss and just focus on that? And, and I think if you're just always in the game, it's always in your head you're just picking up a million little things. So yeah, I do. I do think, you know, if I look, if I was all Oak Island all the time, I think I'd be a 15, 20 right now. You know what I mean? So it just makes sense. Yeah. So was that advice, uh, 
the main breakthrough for you, or was there a specific thing that you learned mechanically that that really kind of you know just turned the light bulb for you? It was yeah, it was it was um, it was it was getting rid of a weak fade I had. And um, to not get too technical, but it is a golf podcast, so I guess sure, sure. the listeners of this won't be bored by this. I hit a weak high fade, and Shane would say to me, if you want to not, like, reconstruct your whole thing, then just pick your line, you know, eight yards to the left of the target and just play for your fade and, and just swing easy. And at a certain point, I said, no, I, that's not good enough for me because I was just losing distance, and it was just starting to become a slice. I was starting to cut across the ball, and I wasn't – so then it became, okay, now what I do – and this is – through work with with those guys, uh, I basically set up for a draw and hit a hard draw, and I aim right down the right side of trouble. It's it's it took a while for me to be confident in doing that, but I kind of aim where my fade used to end, which is scary on a lot of holes when you miss it right, you know, and there's trouble on the right. I'm basically square to that miss, and but I I close my stance into a draw stance, and I I've weakened my right hand a lot. And I just let it turn over hard and I hit now a high draw and it's fundamentally changed everything about my game. It's my putting's improved because my ball striking's improved. I'm confident. I've never had ever in my life a uh, right to left high draw. I was incapable of hitting that shot. It was either a weak slice or a dead pull left. And um, this is just, it's just fun to play. So yeah, it was very mechanical in a way. Yeah. It is. And trust me, man. I mean, you're among friends here. We talk about a lot of nerdy golf shit. So, All right. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and you know, it's funny. I've, I've heard that tip before and it's, you're the first person who's actually told me it's worked for you. But you know, if you're, if you're aiming, if your your miss is one side of the fairway, you basically aim that way. And then just psychologically, or I don't know what it is, your body will adjust and eventually your shot shape will adjust. It's, it's the craziest phenomenon that I've Yeah. And I just, I'm able to, like John gave me a drill to set up when I do, you know, set up at the ball regular, if you can picture this, and then if your listeners can picture this, and you're set up, you're dressed the ball, you rest your club on the ground, and then right before you're about to hit, you just move the club back about two feet, and you rest it on the ground, and you start your swing from there. And what that does is it just shifts your weight, if you're a righty, to your right side automatically. And that helps you get to your left side after impact. It's like a weight transfer feel drill. And I started doing that. And I, and when I set up for this draw, I just, for whatever reason, I get to my left side. And when I don't, I hang back. And that's when I block and slice and cut across. So for me, it works. It's been, it's been awesome. I just enjoy hitting the golf ball. Now. Like, I can't wait to hit. I was so scared of driver. I had the borderline driver yips. I was hitting 175-yard drives, and then 215, 220-yard hybrid second shots. I'm like, this is terrible. Like, this is not how it's supposed to go, you know? Right. And now I can't wait to get the driver in my hand. So it's it's been it's been really fun summer. See, see listeners, you didn't know you were going to get golf tips on this podcast. <laughs> From <know>? a comedian. <laughs> That's just the way the game works sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm like the Ray Romano of your podcast. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, Matt, uh, I, I want to get you out of here. Uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. And I do very much thank you for uh, for coming on the show. Uh, one quick question for you before we get to uh, what's next in the world of Matty Blake. It, I would be remiss to not mention something about uh, what occurred two nights ago uh, in regard to the election. Um, very briefly, how do you think our new president-elect, if anything, would uh, will have an impact on the game of golf? Obviously, everyone knows he plays a lot of golf. His name's on a lot of golf courses. Do you see him having a positive impact on the game or negative? 
Adam, it's going to be huge, okay? It's going to be tremendous. He's going to have a tremendous and huge impact on the game. You have no idea. He's going to put the best people on it. It's going to be huge. Um, <laughs> that's a new imitation. Sorry. Uh, no, I. you know what's funny? Long before this election, I read an article about him in Golf Digest. It was like two or three years ago. And I was kind of touched by his Scottish heritage and his love for the game. And I thought that was nice. Although he said some douchey things. Like at one point he was like, I've won many, many club championships. I'm like, wait a second. Can we look into that? Many, right. many club club championships are hard to win. What do you mean many, many? But that's typical him. And then, But he said one thing that pissed me off, which worries me in that article. I, I tweeted it at the time. Um, I should probably retweet it. He said, I think golf should be aspirational. And at the end of the day, golf should be an aspirational sport. And that, that rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so I worry, look, he's going to go one or two ways. He's going to continue to be like he's been in the, you know, he is, as he's presented himself, which would be very bad for golf, or this could humble him and, and move him in a different direction. You know, having a president, all right, let me say it this way. Sure. Having a president as into golf as he is, is a great thing. It can only help golf unless he continues to have that attitude that it should be aspirational. If he becomes more of a man of the people, then it'll be great. If he continues to have this, it should be aspirational. It'll actually be probably bad for the game. 100% agree with you, and I could not have said it better myself. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Mr. Matty Blake. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell our uh, our listeners where they can find you, and what's, what's uh, something we can see uh, coming up, and what's in store hmm. for you? Okay, uh, I got, I'm going to be on the show on True TV. I play a cop on this show. It's called John Glazer Loves Gear. Uh, it's on True TV. I play a cop on that. And then I'm, I did a movie with Kate McKinnon and a bunch of the girls from Broad City. It's called Rock That Body. I just shot that. Uh, I have a couple scenes in that as a cop again. I always play cops and, and soldiers. <laughs> um, and that's, I think, coming out uh, in the spring maybe. So those are coming up. And you can find me on Twitter at the Matty Blake, M-A-T-T-Y-B-L-A-K-E. And then, of course, um, drilling down on the History Channel, uh, November 15th at 8 p.m., I'll do a one-hour pre-special. If you haven't seen Oak Island, and it sounds interesting to you, watch that Tuesday night at 8 p.m. I do a one-hour kind of recap of the whole series. So to catch you up, you go to school on Oak Island, and then the premiere of the show comes on right after me. Folks, you got to check that out. It's an amazing story. And, Maddie, I'm going to be sure to get my tickets to any movie that you're in. Oh, thank you, brother. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, thanks again for uh, taking some time tonight. And, uh, you know, we'll do this again whenever whenever you're available. I, I had the most fun tonight I've had in a while. This was a blast. Anytime you want me, I'll come on. Perfect. And listeners, uh, we're going to be back again next week. You can follow me on Twitter, as always, at Golf Unfiltered. And until next week, this is your buddy Adam signing off. It's going to be huge.